Welcome to the Philia Podcasts. We are the daughters of those women who came before us. It is our absolute honour to have met so many incredible women fighting for the liberation of us all. Our role at Philia is to amplify the voices of those women via the Philia Conference and these podcasts. Please take from them what you can. In sisterhood and in solidarity, the Philia team. Greetings, everyone. Um, welcome to the Philia podcast. Philia means daughter. We are the daughters of the women who came before us, and we fight so that our daughters may be free. Our vision is a world free from patriarchy, where all women and girls are liberated. We seek to contribute to the women's liberation movement by building sisterhood and solidarity, by amplifying the voices of women, and by defending women's human rights. Today, we are joined by two magnificent women, May Montnish and Diana Barrera Moreno, who are the founders of Women Talk Back. Women Talk Back is the feminist student society at the University of Bristol. They provide a space for women to engage in lively discussions and debates. We are in, they are in pursuit of global liberation from all forms of patriarchy. Women Talk Back therefore center all women who experience misogyny, but who also may experience racism, anti-lesbianism, classism, and other forms of structural discrimination that arise from male domination. Women Talk Back is committed to the power of sisterhood and believe that it is only through an understanding of our similarities and differences that women can liberate themselves from patriarchy. Women Talk Back believes that dialogue with each other is the first step towards liberation from oppressive structures and practices. Women Talk Back welcomes all women from all backgrounds to join and take part in all aspects of the group. Um, women Talk Back aims to foster a culture of collective responsibility, care, and honesty with themselves and with one another. My name is Raquel Rosario Sanchez and I am the spokeswoman for Philia. In the spirit of transparency, I would just like to say that I am also the chief of mischief of Women's Talk Back. But right now, I am here to welcome May and Diana, who are the founding members of the group. How are you both? Hello, this is Diana. I'm well, uh, surviving pandemic day. How about you, May? I'm really happy to be here, and um, I think it's going to be a great conversation, and um, I'm going to have to um, look back in time as well, because it's been a while since I've, I graduated, I think in, in June, and so, um, yeah, it's going to be lovely, uh, reminiscing a bit on um, on Women Talk Back and, and the things that we did together, so yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. Wonderful. So let's do a short biography so that our listeners um, can get a glimpse of who you both are. So May Montlich is a graduate in social policy and sociology from the University of Bristol. Uh, May set up women's attacks in the living room of her university flat in 2018, as she felt that there were few spaces on campus where women could come together and talk about the issues affecting them. Having worked in France after graduating, May is now looking to pursue postgraduate studies in social research in the UK. She is particularly interested in the role that policy and social interventions play in the everyday lives of women and girls. 
Diana is women tech back current unruliness coordinator. She's an enthusiast of dance, nature, arts, and sports. Diana believes that the creation of a better reality for women is possible. She has helped hosting uh, Women Talk Back weekly consciousness raising gatherings and multiple street safety workshops, as well as other hands-off projects. She has organized regular women-only parkour sessions across Bristol and encourages women to roam about in the outdoors. Diana is convinced, is concerned about the pervasive nature of violence against women and will address the importance of visibilizing this plight in society. So, okay, so would you mind if we begin with how you both got involved in feminism? May, would you like to start? Yeah, I just first like to say I have participated in one of Diana's parkour, female-only parkour sessions, and it was one of the most amazing experiences of my life. <laughs> and um, my mother was not too impressed, but um, I thought it was fantastic. Is so, that like the Pardon? Like where you do the climbing on the walls and stuff. Oh, we were jumping off walls. We were climbing up walls. We were just having an amazing time. <laughs> excellent, excellent. So tell me about how you got involved in feminism. Um, I got involved in feminism, I think, around the time that I left school. And so I was about uh, 18. And um, I'd actually just... Um, changed my university course as well because I started off doing veterinary medicine, which is <laughs> a little bit different. Um, and then I became more involved in, um, I guess, social justice type projects and um, started reading feminist theory and was really sort of uh, passionate about it. And uh, it really spoke to me as, as a young woman. And um, partly to that, so I, I changed, I changed, um, my course to social policy and sociology and then that meant I could just read all the stuff that I've been reading and actually um, study it as well which was great um, and I remember reading my the, the book that I remember the most was The Beauty Myth by Naomi Wolf and it just completely um, as I'm sure it has for a lot of other women um, it just filled me with such a sense of rage <laughs> throughout the whole the whole book really and also kind of sadness but then uh, 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 a desire to change things and um, a desire to 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 change the way that women see their see their bodies and and then that kind of just spiraled and and um, I became interested in, in in reading more widely as well um, and um, I was also quite um, interested in the role of social media and, and feminism online um and yeah and so i think i think reading reading was really the big big jumping off point for me and then it became well how am i actually going to put this into practice in my own life um um and i started interacting with with other feminists um locally and on on a um, wider scale as well um and so it was really through just talking to other women and talking about our experiences in a very informal way that um kind of lit a fire in me that <laughs> That's less than slightly, but it's still there. <laughs> yeah. How about you, Diana? Um, yeah, I think it's um, uh, it's been quite a journey because I, in a way, looking back, I was sort of doing feminist things without knowing that was 
what feminism looked like. Uh, so for me, it was a bit of, um, you know, through the lived experience that I reached uh, a more consciousness of what feminism is and what we can do about it. So, uh, ironically, though, this meant that sometimes when people were mentioning the feminist word, the, yeah, the F word, feminism, I was a bit um, worried or, or even scared to, to be labelled as one because I didn't really know what it was. So for me, it was um, quite a journey and it actually meant that uh, my personal life story, you know, uh, violence received from a partner that uh, ultimately helped me open my eyes. Well, not the, only that experience. So after that, that relationship, um, I was um, uh, seeing a therapist, um, and um, she she said to me uh, one thing that was very simple, um, but it was a big breakthrough. So she said to me, look, um, what I'm going to tell you sounds very simple, but late, later you'll look back and, and realize that this is a um, very important message, actually. And what she said to me was that, you know, it's not you, the problem, like it is not you who is constantly um, choosing the wrong partner. It is that even statistically, it is highly likely that you will end up with a man that is violent or uh, misogynistic because this is a society we live in. And then I started uh, reading on her recommendation uh, different feminist uh, Facebook pages and um, uh, I also started following a woman from Spain who writes about uh, romantic love and how feminism uh, um, how feminism can help women uh, break free from, from that idea of a life uh, being you know, just about loving men. So um, that was a big step for me and then because uh, I was in the UK and, and not around the area where, where my therapist was suggesting all of these feminist concepts. I started looking for other things to do locally and uh, that was, I suppose, uh, more of a hands-on uh, consciously because, like I said previously, I was always trying to um, help those who, who were treated unjustly and, again, yeah, that was usually women um, but I didn't know that was feminism but after that therapy and that whole period of healing myself um, yeah it, it became more of a conscious thing yeah well thank you for sharing with us and what a journey both of you um, I also remember the beauty in this sort of revelation um, because it, it felt like a lot of the things that were happening around me suddenly had a language 
and the book just managed to articulate, you know, this this like this words that we know, like empowerment and commodification and objectification and how ideas of dieting are hurtful to women and are all about keeping women in this fragile state, obsessed about ourselves. And it's just like, oh, so there's this whole new world of um, consciousness that I that I can now articulate. So it felt so important to me as well. Um, so I, I have a question for you both. So tell us about women's podcast. What is women's podcast? May, would you like to go first? Yeah. Um, so Women Talk Back is essentially um, a space for discussion and sharing, um, but on a uh, bigger level, it's also about um, coming to a political consciousness and um, being able to have a have a feminist analysis of our lives as women. Um, and so, I'll just talk a little bit about what. Um, inspired me to to um, start a consciousness raising group um, in 2018. Um, I had participated in I think a few in London, um, and they were fantastic experiences and really interesting. Um, and they were based on this premise of consciousness raising, feminist consciousness raising, which started in the 1960s. Um, by I think mainly by Kathy Kathy Sarah Childs wrote the first uh, texts on consciousness raising and wrote the wrote the guidelines and if you you did you can do some trawling through the internet and find these really interesting um, pieces written in sort of 1964 or so um, outlining and it really represents sort of um, what women were going through at the time in on on the left mainly um, and what women were were angry about and a big reason as to why um, some women chose to eventually split off from the um, from from more mainstream leftist groups was because they felt as if their voices weren't being heard and they felt as if their experiences as women um, were not being represented um, and so that's why the groups were 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 created initially um, and I I felt quite so quite similarly, in in a, in a sense, um, and I remember also feeling as if at universities, particularly, um, there weren't many spaces to be able to really discuss our lives and our personal experiences um, as women, and it felt as if the conversations were almost dominated by um, a certain way of thinking about particular subjects and. I don't want to call it an sort of an ideology, but or a, or a doctrine. But I, I think there were definitely elements of um, you're expected to have a certain opinion, and if you didn't maybe agree with aspects of that opinion or, or the opinion in general, then um, you often felt quite I, I feel quite alienated sometimes. Um, and I think in in general, activist spaces. Um, can be very liberating, and I've experienced that also. But um, I think if maybe you're new to an activist space, or you don't really have a like a theoretical grounding or an academic background, they can be quite um, alienating and um, can be quite theoretical and dense. And so, what um, we want to do with with consciousness raising was actually work from women's experiences upwards. 
um and that 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 was our starting point um and so yeah we i i just initially um messaged a whole whole load of women um who i knew at university and and presented them with the idea and and just asked if if they wanted to come along and as i said it was um first the first meetings were in my in my university living room um and it was it was great it was it was amazing i i remember the first meeting and it was just like this sense of um yeah coming together and 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 giving space to one another um and um kind of attending to one another which was really important um and it was it was really nice also because it was um it was definitely obviously we were all university students but there was there was a mix of ages there was some undergrads some phd students it was um it was quite diverse in that sense and so it meant that there was a nice um variety of of views and of of perspectives as well which i thought was important and we had cake and you know tea and <laughs> quite a big theme throughout um so yeah, and and then it uh, we decided to do it weekly as as a regular um, a, a regular thing, um, which I think was also really important because it meant that for people who attended regularly, um, there was also the the opportunity to um, build up trust among the group, and that also meant that um, people over time gradually, or I I got the sense anyway, and I I felt like this, um, it felt easier to to speak because you 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 knew who who was around you and um and so I, th- I think having a having a regular group was really important um because I think a one one-off sessions can be great but it also leaves people with a sense of well what do I do next and um so I think having it we had it every Sunday evening um and it also just gave people something to look forward to as well like I, I just i I, I really look forward to, to sitting down with a group of women on Sunday evening and, and talking about our lives. Um, and I will just say that we did um, use some of the materials that um, were written in, in the early days of conscious raising to shape our meetings also. And so in one of the one of the texts, they talk about um, there being four stages of consciousness raising. Um, and I'll just sort of read them out. The first one is the opening up stage where you um, talk about your your personal experiences um, and your feelings about about what you're oh another thing I should also say is that each each week you have a theme and so um, we had a lot of different themes the first I think one of the first ones was on menstruation and periods and another one was on body image and we have other ones on religion and so and we'd we'd vote for the theme um, and so the first stage being the opening up stage, and then you'd move on to sharing. And so everyone would share um, their own experiences about the topic. Um, and then you'd go on, hopefully, in a natural way to, to analyse these, these experiences and try and understand the meaning of the experiences in relation to wider structures of, of oppression. Um, and then link to that um, what you really want to achieve ideally at the end of a session is actually to start looking forward and think well what is our potential here and what are we trying to what is the problem we've identified the problem and what is it that we want to about this problem that we want to change what do we want to see see changing um, and so what is our what is our vision really of, of how this um, this problem can be made made easier for women and what can we do about it and how can we engage politically and so again bringing it back to 
um, bringing it from the individual to a, a wider political analysis was, was really important. Uh, Diana, would you like to contribute? Like, what is women talk about from your point of view? Um, yes, uh, uh, the women talk back, uh, it is that space, like May has said, uh, where women gather to sort of make sense of one life and uh, to come together, you know, uh, uh, as, well, not necessarily homogeneous because we all have our personal life. Uh, and the stories and their struggles, but somehow um, we do share a lot of injustice uh, just because we're women. So uh, personally, for me, it was um, it was a game changer. So I came to Women Talk Back around the time that I was doing, uh, I think, like uh, nine months. So just. Uh, less than a year, but more than six months of my therapy. And uh, my therapist has suggested that I was ready to move on from rage to action because she explained to me, you know, emotions tell, tell you that you need to be doing something about that stimuli that you're sensing. So you feel something uh, because there's something happening around you. So I felt angry because all of that injustice that I had gone through and now it was time for me to figure out things and finding all the feminist groups uh, was uh, a part of that. So in my lookout for things to do with feminism, I once found an, an advertisement uh, about knitting uh, that said it's a relaxed meeting, there will be tea and cake and uh, we're going to talk about what is it like to grow up as a girl. And I felt the call. Uh, it, it was something that I knew I needed to be doing. So I went down there to that meeting which happened to be the, the first official meeting of Women for Back. Um, uh, outside of, of May's um, house. So, uh, yeah, I felt that I could talk about what was going on in my life without feeling that I was stupid. Because, you know, there was always this sense of being out of it, you know, like everyone else was doing well, handling things, and I was just not good enough to deal with my own problems. But being there in that meeting helped me to to see that it was not just me, that a lot of women have somehow similar experiences. And that gave me a big sense of um, togetherness that I had not felt before. Uh, of course, that that's also uh, a bit of a trigger for anger because it makes me feel that, you know, it was bad enough that I, I was feeling this. Now it is uh, even more urgent that we do something about it because it's not just one person who, who is experiencing that 
it's um, nearly half the population of the world. So uh, I think it was both uh, a comforting sense of community and also an inspiration to to do something about women's status in the world. Um, and uh, yeah, so since that first meeting, I decided that I wanted to stick, uh, stick around and, and do my best to to keep it going because uh, I knew for sure that I wanted all the women to experience that joy. So yeah, for me, women talk back is uh, yeah, it's a, it's a place, um, metaphysically also speaking, so not, not just the, um, the meeting room where, where we go and, and have tea, but that knowing of safety and, uh, and hope that things can change and that we're doing something about it. Oh, that's wonderful, and you just put it so beautifully, and thank you both so much. Um, so let's just address the elephant in the room, and the elephant in the room is that Women Talk Back is, so far, the only female-only officialized student society in the UK. Um, we know, of course, that we have our sisters at the Cambridge Radical Feminists, in Cambridge, the Cambrapsons, um, who are magnificent young women as well. Uh, but so far, the only officialized and recognized by the student union, um, and recognized by the student union, uh, student society, which is female only, is, is, is us, you know? So why? Why is Women's Act a female only student society? Why is it important? that we protect this space where women come together, that we, why does it matter to either of you that we, that we not only center women, but that we make the point that this is exclusively for women? Uh, May or Diana, which one of you? Um, I think that there is a, a, a big obstacle to, to women um, publicly discussing feminism is that very often the, the, the conversations, I'm sure a lot of people can relate to this, end up um, revolving around men and men's feelings and men's needs. Um, and I think women are also socialised into um, kind of catering to men and also feeling the need to respond to men um, and kind of um, justify ourselves and justify our presence and justify our even our thought processes um, and our, our political standing and so I think what's really important about female only space um, is that these ex these spaces exist um, and that they 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 reduce the the um, the kind of need for women to constantly be, res be responding to to men um, and having questions, sort of repetitive questions, or well, what is the need for feminism, et cetera, et cetera. And that's not to say that we don't have disagreement within the group and that um, there aren't sort of challenges and, and things and, and challenges raised to what, what people say, not at all. But I think um, when we're talking about a system of power, 
um, it's really important to think about the the effect that the the the, the person in in the dominant position has on the the mindset and and the the actions of the person in the um, oppressed group. Um, and so, and I, what I found even when I was in university seminars was that, um, you know, men were taking up the space, and even if there were only one or two of them there, they were taking up the space for um, a lot of the time, and a lot of women just didn't even get the chance to speak or didn't feel like they could could speak. Um, and so I think female-owned space is, is really important for that reason, but actually we, we have our space and we, we claim it. And we say we put up a boundary, and we say this is this is for us for this moment um, in time. And that's not to say we can't have mixed spaces, and and, and we can't do this engagement because I think that's really important as well. Um, and so that then we can actually refocus the the division from responding to men all the time to actually looking at and reflecting on what we want as as a group and what what we want as as women. Um, it also so, doesn't negate other people's opportunity to set up their own societies. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Other people as well can set up mixed societies where they talk about both sexes, you know, and you can talk about whatever other issues other people want to talk about. I think that is, it's just so, I mean, you can tell how powerful it is, but how challenging it is to so many people that it's like there are hundreds of societies. We are the only one that is single sex. And somehow it's like you have to change the whole policy to make sure that you take them down. And it's like, no, you can set up your own thing. People don't have to seek to destroy what women create, but that is what, ended, what ends up happening often in a patriarchy, especially when you make the point that we are going to censor women and girls unapologetically. Sorry, uh, carry on, May. Exactly, exactly. And I think I think it's actually quite threatening um, to... To, to the system, to to patriarchy, for women to come together and talk, and I think that um, people, particularly men, um, do feel as if that is is threatening them in some way. Um, and so I think that's why it's so important for women to be persistent on this and to say, well, actually, you know, we're going to have our space, and we're not going to be apologetic about it, as as you said, um, and we're going to talk about what affects us, um, and if that means that, um, yeah. Yeah, so uh, uh, it's really it's really important, I, and I think that we we you know as soon as we got in a room and started talking, it just became so clear as to why it's important, um, and why it's why it's so important to kind of just reduce that. And obviously, you can't completely remove the male gaze because a big part of oppression, isn't it, is is the internalization of that. Um, yeah. But I think that it was really important to to have the the physical space of 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 it being women only to reduce the power of the male gaze and also be able to um, to 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 look at that critically and to be able to re- start to recognize that and start to recognize well how is it that I'm how how am I thinking about this and how how have um, uh, systems of domination and, and and modes of thought influence my way of thinking about myself and about other women um, and doing that in a in a non-judgmental um, female only space is, is 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 an effective way to do it as as we found um, not without its its challenges but um but yeah. May, let me play the the devil's advocate for just one second what about the men you know it's like don't you feel that you're being a little bit can I say something about it? Yes, of course. 
uh, adding to what May was saying, I think that um, because uh, patriarchy is under threat because you know women are now even more aware of uh, the power that, that we have as women and the fact that we can change reality. Uh, they have changed the strategy to undermine us. So, uh, I mean, uh, males have taken now a different approach to um, undermining feminism and women uh, through co-opting our uh, struggles and to, you know, brandizing themselves as feminists or whatever label that makes other women think that they are not the um, not against us. So um, for me, that that makes it even more important than to to defend female-only spaces because um, it gives women uh, the platform that we need to find that time for ourselves because um, part of that co-opting and part of that undermining is also making women feel guilty because historically um, we've been uh, made to, to believe that our duty, our responsibility is to care for others, to put everyone else first. And by claiming a women-only space, we're doing just the opposite. We're saying, actually, no, my life matters. We have, you know, needs as well. And, I mean, it's, it's a bit uh, ironic in a way because it's not that I don't want to help other people that are also struggling, but if I really want to help them, I cannot help them if, if I'm not well myself. So it's a bit weird that... Um, uh, it would actually help people uh, if women had a, a better um, foundation, you know, uh, uh, if women were already the best. I mean, no, that came out wrong, wrong sorry. Um, but I think if we were stronger and didn't spend too much time doubting ourselves or fighting each other, I mean, between women, um, we could achieve even much better things. I mean, look at how far we've got. And that is uh, with the struggle of getting to, I don't know, not hate who we are. Uh, so imagine how much we could be doing if we didn't have to spend time trying to lose weight or look pretty or whatever that is your struggle um so part of of that is having a space for women to to talk about these issues and politically make uh make changes so um this is why in a way we're sort of saying no. We don't, we don't need men in women only spaces because if we want to help you, I mean, in a way you can tell them we're thinking of you because we want to help you, but we cannot help you if we're not good in ourselves. That's a, a yeah. weird answer, but does that make sense? Yes, of course. You know, I just think that um, 
like something that I've always find very fascinating is this story that a study that I read a while ago, and it was talking about like the words that women find the most hurtful. Um, and I was amazed because it wasn't bitch, it wasn't slut, it wasn't even cunt. You know, like the word that women found most hurtful was the word selfish. Like when we were called selfish, because women are socialized in patriarchy to always put other people's needs first, to always put, you know, your boyfriend's needs first or your family's needs first, what your other friends, you know, all these other people go before you and hold on. <laughs> and one of the reasons why I think so many, many people find women talk back challenging is that there's a group of women who are saying like, no, no, I'm putting myself first, my needs, my ideas, who I am, that goes first. And, and, and there's no um, amount of emotional blackmail that is going to force us to decenter females from our collective consciousness. Um, you hear all of these sort of people trying to tug at women's hearts. So you're being mean, you're being selfish, you are being self-centered. It's like, why, why, why should the default position of women be sort of like this endless giver? this endless sort of caretaker. Why shouldn't women be able to to stake a claim on their own lives? And that's, as May was saying, that's something that I think is so threatening. Um, and it speaks to the power of societies like Women Talk Back. Um, May, is there anything else that you would like to add? Yeah, I'd just like to say, um, I think it's really, really interesting what, what you've both been saying. Um, and I think it's um, really interesting to see how actually um, capitalism and patriarchal capitalism has has co-opted um, this really radical sort of feminist uh, idea that women have are, are individuals and um, have inner selves and are not just built for serving men. Um, and what it's done is it said well look you can be an individual and um, here's what you can do and 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 by using these words like self-care and 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 creating basically this this fiction that um, the way to liberation for women today is to become a um, sort of free woman by by focusing on yourself and your own career trajectory um, and and using this this notion of individualism that the way to freedom for women is to focus on yourself and focus on your own liberation um, and I think that the problem with that and the, and the worry that I have with that is that actually who is that serving is that serving women as a collective or is that serving um, the, the 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 current system, the current capitalist system, um, is by her focusing on herself entirely and being able to get up um, the career ladder and get get you know a job as a CEO. Who is who is that serving? And so you've got this kind of like um, co-option, co-optation of of the feminist understanding of um, being self-centered, self-centered in, in a positive way for women, and to start focusing on our own needs. Um, and that's not placed um, in a context where women can see themselves as as an individual, but also be aware of the collective and be con- and and be be working towards a, a collective liberation at the same time. 
uh, if that makes sense. And yeah. so what I think consciousness raising is really important to do in, 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 in what it does is that it, um, in, in the kind of, in one way, it allows women to focus on themselves for maybe the first time um, and think about their own needs and then also think about those needs um, in the context of a collective by talking to the other women in the group and hearing what the other women in the group are feeling and, and experiencing. Um, and then so using that, that, that um, new sense of power, new sense of self to, to actually work towards a better future for um, all women. Um, yeah. Exactly. I mean, it's like, who are you throwing? Which women are you throwing under the bus on your way to climbing the CEO ladder, you know? Um, and, and that becomes so complicated when you in, when you mix or uh, when you when you shift the analysis to also take into account issues of race, issues of class, you know, nationality, migration, all that kind of, all the type of stuff. Um, I think, yeah, your analysis was really um, really thought provoking. Um, so you both mentioned May and Diana. You both sort of mentioned this um, this concept, the state of feminism. It, it seems like the the women's rights movement right now, not only in the UK but also in so many other parts of the world, it seems so vibrant. And by vibrant, it doesn't mean that it's all like joyous and happy, but also just like filled with rage and filled with um, energy. And that energy can be, you know. Uh, it transmutes based on on all of these issues that are becoming that are coming to the front of of people's consciousness. And I wonder if you could like give us your thoughts on the state of feminism, you know, the state of women and girls' rights, um, maybe and how it relates to women talk back. Do you have any thoughts that you would like to share? Yeah, I think we are at a crossroad. Is that the right term? Like yeah. a yeah, so there are a lot of things going on right now, 2020, uh, that are somehow um, potential for, for positive change, but equally quite worrying if, if we don't, uh, you know, if, if we give in to fear. So for me, it is, um, so one example, uh, in March, there was the, the International Women's March, yeah, and uh, at the same time, it was announced that the pandemic uh, was taking over the world and, and we should start to self-isolate or more social distance, um, start lockdown or whatever it is called, uh, where people are listening into this. And in, I mean, I'm not going to get political right now about the whole health crisis here, um, but one of the implications of that uh, intersects with with feminism in um, in the way that just as there started to be a big attendance of more women, and you know that uh, more women were willing to. To go out in the streets and raise their voices and say, you know, we're not going to let men um, be violent against us anymore. Uh, all of a sudden, 
there's this big crisis, women are sent back to their homes, uh, that majority of them to a violent home. And um, I think the danger of that is that it might get women discouraged from from stepping out again. You know, like, it, it is uh, tempting to, to say, oh, maybe, you know, if I sh if I stayed home, uh, my husband wouldn't have uh, realized I was a feminist now. I'm stuck here in my house. I have nowhere to go. Uh, one thing is, but it could potentially discourage some women that were starting to to see uh, a way out of violence. But on the other hand, it can also uh, make space for for women to to take action and say, you know, we're fed up with this and we want to do something. Um, but then again, um, this is uh, this is not a, an easy thing to solve because, as well, uh, the whole crisis, it, uh, from my point of view, is showing how how badly we've organized our societies, the fact that the care relies on women, you know, that now we are seeing uh, problems where now the main carer has to be the man because the woman has fallen ill and then children, and then there has been fighting violence in, in homes because men can't cope with being responsible for care duties. Um, so if if it was, uh, I mean, like the ideal thing is that everyone realizes that this is a big problem and that we need to change how we're operating, right, at the level of, of um, even the nuclear family. Because if, um, if we think that societies are better understood, uh, uh, not understood, um, that we would benefit from having, you know, the, the basic unit, uh, the mother and child, and then organize around that instead of uh, having the, the model unit, uh, wife and husband, and then organizing everything around that, uh, which again is a patriarchal. Uh, it's, um, it's a model that stems from, from patriarchy so that women can remain under control and oppressed, basically. So I suppose what I want to say with this is that What's happening right now is a big opportunity for change for us to realize that what we're doing isn't giving um, good results. But equally, because we're scared, because not everyone has access to the same information or not the same resources to, to say, you know, fuck it, not fuck it. Uh, well, yes, but maybe you can edit this. Uh, <laughs> no one. Wants. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. So I I want my way out, and I'm going to do something else. Not everyone has that privilege. So it there is a danger that that instead of going two steps forward, we go three backwards. What do you think, May? What's your thoughts on the state of feminism in 2020? Um, 
Yeah, I would completely echo what Deanna has said. Um, and it reminded me actually of, um, I think, one of the, the things we've seen in, in recent years in in feminist studies or what was called women's studies um, are are kind of two things. I think the first thing which has has been really important is is the acknowledgement um, that an, an analysis of of society and of um, ways of living and of oppression that solely focuses on um, one particular identity or one particular aspect, such as gender, um, in feminism's case, is not actually effective and it doesn't reflect the realities of most women in the world today. And there's been some really important work by by black feminists such as Kimberly Crenshaw with intersectionality theory of saying, well, actually, we can't just be focusing on gender and we can't have this uh, single analysis because it doesn't it doesn't um, it doesn't reflect the reality of 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 women today, um, and we won't be able to find solutions to the problem if we just look at this through through one lens. Um, and so, I think that's been been really influential. The other thing that I think has happened is 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 the rise of um, postmodernism in in academia, and I think that the impact of of postmodernism is is something that we're just we're kind of starting to see more and more um and it's it's really been characterized by the by a kind of loss of of the idea of having a meta analysis or having a a structural analysis and what in its place there's this idea that kind of nothing really exists and we can't really um give names to things um because everything is um, supposedly socially constructed, and so it makes it very hard, um, I think, to be able to have a material analysis of, um, of in in this case, women's women's oppression. Um, and so, what I think is happening is there has been a kind of increasing um, uh, a separation and and distancing of academic feminism from grassroots initiatives that are happening um, on the ground and are, and are led by, by mainly by women. Um, and so, um, and I think the where conscious raising would, would come in and, and can be really useful now, actually, is to sort of remind ourselves um, that knowledge production um, happens in various ways, but um, it, 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 it happens in in essence by by talking to each other and um, and articulating our own experiences and that is how knowledge is created. Um, I know that a lot of the the, the early feminist feminist texts that have been really influential um, and feminist writers like Shulamith Firestone. A lot of the theory, the original theory, what came out of consciousness raising groups. Um, and so I think in order to kind of counteract this 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 um, sort of creeping postmodernism um, and this idea that that we can't really um, have a have a have a bigger analysis of things um, and and that that everything has become very individualized um, and I think that's that's very much influenced by by neoliberalism and and consumerism and so. Um, everything is kind of quite separated, um, and 
I think by coming together and, and talking and having honest discussions, um, we can start joining the dots again and start bringing back this material analysis that has somehow seemed to be um, uh, kind of gone out of fashion even in academia, I think. And um, But I think also conscious raising does show the complexities of women's lives and, and does bring into focus um, how we do differ. Um, and we've had some really, really fruitful and really important discussions in, a, in our group on um, racial differences, on, on how race affects, affects women um, and on class. And I think that certainly a lot more of that needs to be done in order to really um, shine a light on, on that. I think it's been um, a, a real sort of education in, in on, on one hand, trying to create a, a, a structural analysis on, on what is it in our lives that, that is the problem and how can we go about this? But then also um, being reminded, you know, in every session of the of the real complexities of that and of the um, of how it actually is very difficult to generalise and how and how it is difficult to 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 make um, big generalisations about about particular groups. Your analysis reminds me of that wonderful text by Kyla Mantija, "Let Them Eat Text," in which she addresses the disarticulation of the women's movement. She's talking about, she was in academia in the U.S., writing probably in 1999. Um, and she was talking about how postmodernism meant that her students felt unable to identify what, what, you're, what you're saying, what we're now able to identify through consciousness raising, um, because it turns concepts into meaningless, meaninglessness, you know? She remember how at the beginning we were talking about, like I was talking about how the beauty myth was such a revelation for me because it helped me articulate things that were happening that I didn't know had names. And now I was able to identify it and say, well, this is modification, this is modification, all that kind of stuff. But through postmodernism, especially the way that it has infiltrated academia and then from academia, it uh, trickles down to, you know, the third sectors and, and charities and non-profit organizations, and then that sort of goes into the public sector. Um, but the way that, that, that the effects of postmodernism in academia, and especially in, like, women's studies, which are now gender studies, like, what the effect has been to, to this, disintegrate this collective consciousness mm -hmm. to sort of turn to thumbs all of these solid concepts that women, feminists, have been constructing for decades. Um, and what is a better example than the fact that we're in 2020 and we're having politicians go on the radio shows to say that they don't know what a woman is, you know? Well, it's complicated, you know? We can't really tell. What are you talking about? We know what women are. But because of the infiltration of both the neoliberalism, particularly postmodernism, we it's like we, we lost the word that we used to um, consolidate our social struggle. So I think that it seems it could seem trivial, but the way that language has been hijacked from the women's movement is having a transformational effect. And that can go both ways. You know, it can, it can be very negative. But as you were saying, both of you, through consciousness raising, you can sort of claim it back. Um, 
So I I wanted to ask you to do a, a little bit of an exercise. You know, we were talking about academia and speaking of academia. I was wondering if there's anything, like what would you like to say to the young women coming into university and to young women coming into academia at this moment in time who maybe have an inkling that they would want to learn more about feminism or, or who would want to get involved in women's groups? What was it like um, as a 17-year-old going into university or, or what is something that you yourself would like to say to your 17-year-old version of yourself, you know, coming into university, wanting to like maybe experience more of this whole women's liberation movement? What is something that you would say to them? Uh, okay, so um, about academia, I would say that yes, it is helpful to to be able to access all that knowledge uh, that has mm, been created through hard work, uh, and that it is helpful to have a language that is enabling a conversation. However, it's also I think it's even more important to know that knowledge is nothing is meaningless if it is uh, just sitting there on a shelf in a corner or even in your head if you don't do anything about it if you just sit with what you read and do nothing then what's the point and if you're wanting to engage it, it is about uh, transformation so knowledge is uh, important Yes, but if, again, what you do, it only helps to know something when it, it helps you to to make the best of decisions. So, for me, uh, the problem with, with feminism and academia, the way I see it, is that um, it's mainly speaking, well, more recently, it's it, started to, to open up spaces for other oppressed uh, section, sectors for women, so based on class and race, um, but the, the majority of it still speaks to, to a certain group. It's targeting um, white women of the global north and not necessarily the indigenous women, you know, in the Amazon or in uh, Mexican uh, rainforest or, you know, women who have fall prey to prostitution. Um, so, uh, yeah, it would be ideal if uh, the work that is being produced academically ends up actually helping that woman. Um, and uh, in regards to uh, young women that are starting university, uh, I guess uh, I would say enjoy, enjoy your life because uh, we tend to think again that, that if we're not crying, then we're not doing a good fight, and that's not necessarily true because part of the defeat of patriarchy is that women are happy. Because the the debate 
of patriarchy is, is about women's pleasure, that we claim back that, that uh, we are able to, to create that reality for women. Um, yeah, I would say try and, and, and do all you can to enjoy your life and, and make it joyful for the women around you, whatever that means. That's very beautiful. Thank you, Diana. May, uh, uh, what about you, May? We, I know that you had a bit of a turbulent time as a young feminist coming to university. What would you say to a 17-year-old May? Some words of wisdom. <laughs> so many things. <laughs> um, I, I, I still sort of see myself as a quite sort of young and naive person, so I, 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 I don't know how much advice I can, I can oh, give myself now. Fun. Hey, come on. <laughs> yeah, everything's changed. <laughs> um, I mean, the main thing I would say is 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 just keep talking, keep talking to other women, and keep talking. Um, I say to yourself, <laughs> it'd be a bit mad, but keep keep talking, keep speaking out about what you you believe in, and don't be afraid of making a stand about something. Um, and if you end up changing your mind. You change your mind, but I think in what what happens when you when you when you make a stand about something or you or you say, well, actually, I don't agree, and these are the reasons why. A kind of internal process happens as well, which is that you start see, seeing yourself as a subject and as as someone who can who can have opinions and who can say things. And it sounds like such a kind of obvious thing, but I think actually, girls um, and and women are are brought up unfortunately still um to to be very afraid of of having an opinion that that um other people don't agree with and are very afraid of of the potential consequences of that um and um so i i think i think in 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 doing that you you start to i started to to realize actually that when i i i could do it and i and i didn't kind of collapse <laughs> when yeah. I when I did um, when I when I did say speak out or or make a stand about something, and that it also um, had a kind of effect, um, like a kind of snowball effect on other women around me, um, and you start to realise that your your actions as a woman um, they have so much weight and they have so much influence on. Um, on other women around you and you can actually um you can I think and I think doing the consciousness raising as well um uh, what really benefited me was from talking to women like like both of you and and observing how you um how you kind of lived your lives and your your um your sort of way of doing things and your the things that you that you um uh kind of um did that were um or, or the, the 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 stances that you took and um the things that you you were quite unapologetic about both of you and that was so influential for me and because it showed me that I could do that too and so what I'm talking about is this kind of ripple effect that I think is really important for um for young women to experience um, and kind of saying that, like, well, she is actually, she's speaking out, and that means that I can, and she's doing this or not doing this particular thing, and that, that sort of gives 
gives me permission to to, to do that too. Um, so I think that's that's really important. Um, and the other thing I think is also don't be afraid of feeling uncomfortable and don't be afraid of being being potentially wrong about something or being potentially um, mistaken about something and to really use that as a learning experience rather than thinking, um, oh, I'm a terrible person and therefore I'm not going to participate or, or um, be involved in anything. Because I think that's also another... Um, thing that comes from female socialization which is that if we're not perfect all the time that means that we retreat into this place of well i can't i i i'm just, I'm just not going to engage at all because um because i just can't do anything about it and actually um seeing that as all a learning experience and and just being nice to yourself as well and and um and and being gentle with yourself and forgiving i think really important as a young woman and 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 for anyone but particularly when you're um particularly if you're if you're um speaking up politically um just to just to keep reminding yourself of what is important um and to to sustain um your relationships with other women around you and to to create a support network um and one way you can do that is through setting up a consciousness raising group <laughs> um so yeah. Okay. So, thank you so much, May. That's so powerful. The idea of well, looking at other women who are unapologetic and taking inspiration for that. So, on that note, either if you could answer one of the following questions, either what is next for women talk back, or or how do you do you have any words of advice for other women maybe around the UK, maybe even around the world who are listening and who would like to set up their own female only uh, consciousness raising group? Like, how can they go about it? How did you do it? Any words of wisdom for them? Um, I would say, in terms of setting up a consciousness raising group, just speaking from from our experience, I, I suppose is. Um, don't be afraid to use your your legal rights, and so um, don't be afraid to to um, people with the Equality Act 2010. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so so you can use the law in your advantage because it's perfectly legal to have a female only space um, as as the Equality Act um, or the exemptions to the Equality Act um, say. And so so on that basis, you're you 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 have permission to do that um and um i think also if you are interested um look around and and see what other groups um uh, see uh, tr- tr- you can seek advice <laughs> from from us or from um the cambridge group i'm sure they would be be happy to do that as well um and also i what i found really useful was was looking back at the the it is you can find it all all online um but looking back at how consciousness raising groups ran when they were at their height in the in the 1970s 1980s um there are there are lots of things in terms of um not only how they ran but um uh what what Sort of themes that they 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 covered, and what they if they had certain guidelines, what were those guidelines, and what was what was their vision as well? And also, there's some really interesting 
um, reflection on what works about those groups. And there's also, you know, a fair amount of critique of consciousness raising as a as a political tool, which I think is really important um, and really important to look at and to 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 use um, in the in the present day in terms of seeing what worked then and what didn't work. How can we adjust this to the present day and to the needs of women now, and especially to the needs of young women, um, and what, what is important now? So, so yeah, look online, um, do, do, do your research, but also don't, don't, don't hesitate to, to contact us or to contact um, the, the other groups to, to, um, to just find out how, how we did it as well. Thank you, Diana? Um, yeah, I would say just don't be afraid and uh, it might be scary at the beginning if you uh, find out that not um, not all the, the, the women that you know are not willing uh, to have the conversation because uh, not everyone is in the same place, in the same headspace. So, I mean, yeah, just... Uh, going there with an open mind and knowing that you will certainly find at least one woman you can talk to. So, uh, yeah, and um, uh, about future of women's talk back, well, ideally, we can resume our um, weekly meetings, uh, maybe online for now. Um, yeah, we're we're still here trying to uh, to be here for you. It was that uh, powerful and uh, very moving. Not be afraid to go and do this thing that may feel very challenging at first, but it's actually quite liberating. So thank you. I would also just add that um, I think one thing that maybe we were slightly preoccupied about at the start and then realized that it wasn't actually a, a problem at all was kind of like the amount of people that attended the group. And so you'd kind of set these quotas in your mind of like, oh, you know, it'd be great if we could get sort of 10 women today or or if we had a particularly big group, you sort of think that, that that felt successful. But actually over time, what, what I came to realize was that um, – the number of women who attended really wasn't the 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 important thing. The important thing was was the quality of the conversations that were had. And actually, we found that the smaller the groups, the more um, kind of intimate we could get with each other. And the the we had, I think, we had some of our just from my my point of view, we had some of our most interesting conversations in in a smaller group. And so there were pros and cons to to having big groups and having and having smaller groups. But I'd say, yeah. As, as, as Diana said, um, if you can find even just one woman who, who who will come and you have a conversation with the two of you, it's 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 just fantastic. And so so yeah, quality rather than quantity of, of women who come, I think is is something that I I learned throughout the process. Well, thank you, May, for that introduction. That's actually really important. And also on that note, uh, not only like quantity, but also like variety is important. I know that at the beginning of Women's Health Bag, the number of students that would come to the meetings was higher than the proportion that we have now. And um, 
I think in part that is because we have a little bit of a feminism problem at the University of Bristol right now. Um, but what we have seen is that even though the number of students that we have has gone down, we have a number of women from all walks of life who are coming to the groups and and it's so unexpected, you know, to sort of come to the meeting and we're preparing the tea for everyone. And here comes a, a woman and her daughter. And at one point this past uh, term, we've had like two sets of mothers and daughters. And you're sort of like sitting there like, oh, my God, this, this is magical. Um, but no, it's just, it's, and we've had like grandmothers come in. And at one point we had a woman who was maybe like 19 and sitting opposite to her was a woman who was like her teacher when she was in middle school or something like that. And it was, it's just like intergenerationally, there are so many connections that are being made in that society that I just, I just find it, I get goosebumps, you know, when I think about it. Because as you were saying, both May and Diana, you know, it is. It would be wonderful, maybe, if you had a large group of women there. But sometimes that can be overwhelming, and sometimes the conversations that you're having are best suited for, you know, one-on-one -on -one conversations. And I mean, speaking just purely as the chief of mischief of the society right now, you know, we appreciate it when we have one woman with the same sense of gratitude as when we have fifteen women. Um, and 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 for me personally, the thing that has really um, made me feel just beautiful and inspired is just watching women like, foment like cementing these bonds uh, intergenerationally and from all walks of backgrounds, women who are students, women who are not students, women who are students in other universities who are coming to our meetings. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, that has been fantastic. Uh, any other, any last thoughts before we, we close our podcast? Either Diana or May, anything that you would like to share with us? Uh, uh, well, thanks for listening. And uh, if you're in the Bristol area, well, well yeah, if we have an online, you don't have to be in Bristol to come to our meeting. So hopefully see some of you. Uh, and uh, yeah, just keep going. Keep going. Me? Yeah, I, I would just echo what, what Deanna said. Um, and again, don't hesitate to, to get in contact with us. Um, I think our details are going to be on, on, on the podcast website. Um, if, if you are interested in, in setting up your own group. Um, so, yeah, it's been great to talk to both of you. Thank you. Thank you, Diana. Thank you, May. Thanks, May. Thanks, Raquel. Thank you, both of you. And thank you all so much for setting up the student society, which has proven to be quite uh, prolific. We're hosting events and we have a website and we're doing all of these things. And there's weekly consciousness raising every week, you know, it's what a force. So thank you both so much for setting that up. Thank you very much to the people who are listening to us. Um, thank you for joining us at this Philia podcast. We look forward to seeing you all very soon at our conference, or we just look forward to you joining our future podcast. So thank you all very much. <laughs>